0: Everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Canna Book Club hosted by Resonate Radio. Today we are going over the accumulation of bioactive metabolites and cultivated medical cannabis. I'm always excited to go over papers. The one thing that excites me about this paper today, this is the only facility that is supposedly larger than the one that I work in currently. So that intrigues me. I'm digging deeper to kind of find out that number, but apparently this is the only other largest greenhouse in the world. So I'm excited to see some research come out of there. As always, we have some friends here at the Canada Book Club. We're one short today, unfortunately. Miss Molly uh, having a little bit of teeth issues, so unfortunately cannot participate. So We have Casey and Dr. Anna, as always, excited to go through this paper standard thumbs up from dr anna don't worry she'll give the awkward peace sign when we're leaving as well for everybody (laughs) love it casey you're the host of this thing let's go let's go y'all all right so This paper,
1: yeah, that's a cool fact. I didn't know that they were doing this out of a gigantic facility. Corey. that's awesome. Um, Yeah, so the paper was published in 2018 in the journal POLS One, by authors Richens, Rodriguez Uribe, Lowe, Feral, and O'Connell. They're out of the Department of Plant and Environmental Sciences at New York, or sorry, (laughs) New Mexico State University and the, What's his name? Uh, Richens is also out of the Rio Grande Analytics in New Mexico. So here's the abstract of this metabolite paper. Uh, There has been an increased use of medical cannabis in the U.S. as more states legalize its use. Uh, Complete chemical analyses of this material can can vary considerably between producers and is often not fully provided to consumers. As phytochemists in a state with legal medical cannabis, we sought to characterize the accumulation of phytochemicals in material grown by licensed commercial producers. We report the development of a simple extraction and analysis method amenable to use by commercial laboratories for the detection and quantification of both cannabinoids and terpenoids. Through analysis of developing flowers on plants, we can identify sources of variability of floral metabolites due to flower maturity and position on the plant. The terpenoid uh, composition varied by accession and was used to cluster cannabis strains into specific types. Inclusion of terpenoid with cannabinoids in the analysis of medical cannabis should be encouraged as both of these classes of compounds could play a role in the beneficial uh, medical effects of different cannabis strains. Um, Very interesting stuff. Uh, I love topics of terpenoid. I feel like 2022 is the year of the terpenes, although every year has been terpenes.
0: Please, can it already be this year? Can it finally move the conversation?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, Dr. Anna, please take it away with the intro.
2: Okay. So, um, you know, they describe, first of all, what what cannabinoids are, which they are a class of terpenophenol... terpenophenolic secondary metabolites produced by members of the cannabis genome, oh, genus, genome. <laughs> um, and within this class of compounds, um, there are some that produce notable bioactive effects. And um, as they talk about further on in the paper, the, the plant produces the acidic um, varieties of these compounds. And then generally you would, Process or or uh, at least let's say it's a post biosynthetic processing um, to turn it into the more bioactive form or the neutral form. So turning the acidic versions into the neutral form that you know, like THC, CBD. Um, then they talk about you know the uses, how long we've been using it for. It's kind of the standard thing in the introduction that everyone talks about, uh, just the background of the history of cannabis. Um, and they say that there are two pathways that have isolated strains into two types without the biosynthetic capability for the production of cannabinoid precursor THCA. So some plants produce THCA, some don't. And, some, and the plants that don't produce THCA generally produce another cannabinoid. Uh, and generally, it's going to be CBD or CBGA. Um. And the plants that don't produce a lot of THCA are called hemp, and the ones that do are called marijuana, um, which is a controversial term, but that's what it is in terms of legal um, legal mumbo-jumbo here in the United States. Um, cannabis strains used for the production of cannabinoids are dioecious, meaning that there are male plants and female plants, uh, separate uh, plants for the two sexes. Um with the maximal accumulation of compounds are being made in the unfertilized female fluorescences. Um, the synthesis and accumulation of the cannabinoids occurs in the trichomes on the surfaces of both leaves and inflorescences. And for those of you who don't know, a trichome is just, um, it's like a, a, a glandular hair. Um, plants are produced generally in commercial greenhouses using clonal, clonal propagating uh, methods from female mother plants. And then the next section, they talk about the biosynthetic pathway to making these cannabinoids. So everything comes from geranyl phosphate and olivetic acid. And the, those two things are used to make cannabigerolic acid, which then there's three synthase enzymes which turn the CBGA into THCA. CBDA and CBCA, so those are the acidic versions that are made in the plant, and then that post um, post modification to decarboxylate those molecules using either heat or some other method um, turns them into what we are re- most common, like most familiar with, which is T- THC, CBD, and CBC. And let's see. Um, so that that's done through enzymatic action. So then in the next section, I was actually a little bit confused about this. Um, they are talking about, uh, different types. So there, there are five types. So there's chemotype one through five, and they're saying that this is based on THC V. I don't actually think that's correct. I think it's based on THC production. Type one is high THC types. Type two is even ratios of THC to CBD. Type three is high CBD types, and then the type four is high CBG, where one of something in the biosynthetic pathway is broken, so the plant doesn't produce CBD or CB or doesn't produce CBD or THC. So the it's producing the precursor to those molecules, which is CBG. And then type five is it doesn't produce any cannabinoids, so everything's broken. No cannabinoids. So, but I am confused that they say this is THCV because my understanding of these studies is that it's based on THC. So yeah, that's really the first time I've
1: ever that. seen that.
2: Yeah. So I'm not sure I mean, how I that got past I'm not sure that how that got past the reviewers, but it's in there, and I don't think that's correct. Just so if you're reading this paper and you're confused. Uh, I think you are correctly confused, as I am. I didn't look up the, uh, I didn't actually double cross-check with the references that they put in there, 21 through 24, although I am familiar with with those papers. And then, um, in uh, in addition to cannabinoids, uh, cannabis is also rich in bioactive terpenoids. Um, there appears to be a positive correlation between the accumulation of these classes of compounds. The complexity of terpenoid and cannabinoid composition in these samples should routinely be quantified to accurately and adequately determine the uh, medicinal potential of a particular sample. And we've talked about this before, like we need to know what's in the plant in order to figure out what it's going to do um, when somebody consumes it. So um, then they go on to talk about um, selection. So since the aroma of the plant, so the sm- scent of the plant is largely the result of terpenoid composition, human selection for this plant may have been based in part on the monoterpenoid and sesquiterpenoid based aroma and on the ca- uh, cannabinoid psychoactivity. So that's just basically in a super nerdy science way saying we picked plants for, for what they smell like and, and the effects that they have on us. Um within the past several decades, significant uh scientific evidence for the me- uh, medical utility of cannabis has been studied, and it's, it's been found to be useful in a number of human health diseases and conditions. And they give you a couple of websites which you can click there. Um there is limited reliable data on the chemical composition of cannabis strains, the variability within the plant for production of these compounds. And the interaction of the environment of production with the chemical quality of a specific strain. So we've talked about this before, too, that um, phenotype, including the chemotype, is a production of both the genotype and the environment. But it hasn't really been well studied uh, how much that environmental component changes um, what the plant turns out to be. So this is a cool paper. Um So the premise of the study is that they have past experience characterizing the sources of variability for secondary metabolites in other plants, such as uh, yerba mantha or in capsicum cultivars, so bell peppers. Um, And this led them to investigate the variability for cannabinoid accumulation in the medical marijuana produced by licensed growers in New Mexico. And... um, So then they go through and they list what they're going to do in this study. So they wanted to develop a rapid, reliable, and inexpensive method to quantify the important bioactive compounds in medical marijuana, uh, which are the cannabinoids and terpenes. They wanted to demonstrate the utility of the method using commercial material available as medical marijuana in New Mexico. Um, And they designed the studies to determine the consistency of total and relative cannabinoid and terpenoid accumulation within a given accession to see if leaf levels of cannabinoids could be used to predict eventual floral levels. So could you take a young leaf in, vegetative, um, in in the vegetative stage and predict how that flower is going to turn out based on what you find in the leaf? So they um, picked five cannabinoids, uh, delta-9-TC, CBD, CBG, delta-9-THCV, and CBC. Um, and for those who don't know, THCV is a very minor cannabinoid. It's not produced in very big quantities at all. And the same with CBC. Although there is uh, CBC synthase, so there's an enzyme to make CBC into CB or CBCA into what am I trying to say? CBG into CBC. It still it it doesn't accum- it doesn't produce or accumulate or um, have very much CBC. In it, even the plants that are high in CBC, it's only like 1% or 2%. Um, and then they looked at leaf and floral samples from 28 strains, and they collected it multiple times throughout the growing uh, season. And they were able to report a reliable and sustainable gas chromatography method for the separation and quantification of the five neutral cannabinoids that they picked out. So basically that's what they did, that's why they did it, and... Um, yeah, so we can move on to the materials and methods now, Corey.
0: Yay! So, <laughs> ultra down in New Mexico. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I would be 11, 11, I would really like to visit this place. To be honest, you know okay. what,
2: Corey? My yes. favorite aunt, and uncle, and cousin live in New Mexico. They're actually just selling their house right now. They're moving to back to New Zealand. But I've been to Las Cruces a ton of times. It's it's kind of cool. There's not much to do there, but
0: yeah. I know I've heard New Mexico is the only people see this is another story where I've heard that people who live in New Mexico are just moving uh they're not sticking around so clearly not a fun place to be definitely though I think you know if it's cannabis I mean, related I'll they've, visit anywhere
2: <laughs> they've, li- they've lived there for like 47 48 years so they had a good run they're ready to go retire in New Zealand Jeez. um plenty of but, desert time uh, But White Sands National Monument is really close to Las Cruces, and if you ever have a chance to go do not pass it up. White Sands is spectacular.
0: See, now I have two reasons to actually go to New Mexico, so then I can't pass up this trip now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm going to go to Maine for a cannabis conference. I think I can make it to New Mexico, for crying out loud. But (laughs) anyways, the interesting thing uh, in the beginning here, of course, I mean, all plant material is characterized, uh, you know, uh, indica dominant, sativa dominant, but doesn't necessarily reflect the results um, obtained with genotyping. So I think that's kind of the thing I want to start off with that one. Uh, We have normal cannabis plants uh, for the first time in a long time. We're not going to do any wild things like cloning during the flowering stage and uh, all those other things that the Tomato Times guys were uh, rocking and rolling over there. We have uh, cuttings propagated in the Cocoa Air Max. So I think a lot of these folks actually might have this uh, in their house, to be honest with you. Uh, and same with the Veg A and B and a Bud AB mix. Uh, really standard, uh, uh, I mean, honestly, off-the-shelf uh, fertilizers. Uh, they have natural light that's supplemented with artificial lighting using a 600-watt CFL uh, and or 1,000-watt HPS. Uh, at the greenhouse temperature, was set to 22 degrees celsius but the actual temperatures varied from a low of 17 to 33. so we're having a wild swing here for sure this is the fun part about greenhouse growing. and then of course the one thing that i'm kind of beefing with this report but i can understand why they've used this parameter but they are using relative humidity uh, but usually when you get to the greenhouse you're usually you're using um uh, actual hum- or, sorry absolute humidity Uh, In there usually one of the measures. So that's the only kind of difference that I've noticed in here Uh, So relative humidity is varied between 35 and 65% and you know Just that like high-level relative humidity that humidity is based on temperature and that's going to change But if you have absolute humidity, there's always going to have a certain amount of grams of uh, water vapor in the air so uh, that's the difference of the two Um, plants were then transferred into 38 liter pots uh, and then moved into a short day, so 12-hour photo period to induce flowering. Uh, again, so for all uh, everybody who you know, again, kind of beefs with lights uh, that are used. You know, whether it's you know you should use LEDs or HPS, uh, they're using uh, natural sunlight. Uh, they were supplementing some HPS again, as noted before, but this is mostly under the sun. Uh, everybody, so I know I wanted to point that out again because everybody says you know well it needs to be under the sun and it'll have the actual expression. Um, of all the cannabinoids and terpenes. So I think they really did their best to try and, you know, uh, generate that as much as possible or replicate that. So um, the leaf and flower samples were collected uh, at the days, uh, indicating for the floral induction. So in some cases they did uh, upper third and sometimes that they did the bottom third. So that might be interesting to some folks who have done, you know, testing uh, on the plant for as far as like top buds, middle buds, and lower buds are concerned. And uh, this part here, RNA isolation, so leaf samples were collected uh, early, so four and five weeks uh, into uh, flowering, and then six and seven weeks, and then a third um, frequency at eight to 11 weeks. So all the samples were dried, but they were not cured uh, prior to the chemical extraction. And I actually uh, sent a message to wonderful R.J. Ellis, who happens to be one of the best extractors up here in the great land of Canada land. And I asked him, you know, what is the difference here? Because they do note uh, through the methods that they uh, didn't use methanol, which is usually uh, what is used. They actually used um, acetone or acetone uh, for the extraction. And so they go at length in talking about how uh, acetone Sorry, results in discussion there. How acetone and methanol differ uh, in the extraction method. And I think it's really interesting as far as doing, you know, testing is concerned. So they really did a good attempt at, you know, using acetone where they can really clear the tubes of the testing material. But then also they can pick up smaller terpenes and cannabinoids by using this method instead of using uh, ethanol. So... I just thought that was really interesting because I wanted to, you know, actually understand why they use this. And they also did point it out that, hey, uh, this isn't you know, kind of the normal extraction method that would be used for testing. So, yeah, for us who are working in the large scale industry, I really wanted to point those methods and materials out here. Other than that, it's standard as far as testing is concerned. Um, I don't know a whole heck of a lot, but the buzzwords again are there. Um, as far as HPLC testing or that gas chromatography testing is concerned. Um, and, yeah, that's I think that's really it. Uh, I don't think there's anything else that kind of differs from there. Um, unless anybody else wants to say anything within that. I know Dr. Anna spends a lot of time in materials and methods and goes over it vigorously <laughs> taking notes. So. This, part,
2: this part's interesting, the RNA isolation and analysis. But, I mean, um, yeah, so... Uh, so the thing to know about RNA, uh, quantification is that RNA is like a snapshot in time of what the plant is doing at that specific Moment. time, which is why they have to flash freeze it because RNA disintegrates. It it breaks down really fast. We should all know about this now with COVID and the vaccines, which are mRNA. We know that, you know, you get injected with the mRNA, your body learns, Uh, what it's looking for, and that that mRNA is broken down by your body within two weeks. So you really have to, um, like, unlike when you extract something like DNA, like DNA, you can dry out the tissue. Like, I can go into a a dispensary and buy some flour tissue, grind it up, and I can get perfectly good DNA out of that. RNA is not stable like DNA is. It's single-stranded, and it, it breaks down super fast. So in order to get a good RNA sample, you really have to be on the ball. Like, you are picking the, the, the tissue, flash freezing it, and then pretty much extracting it as, as soon as you can to get the best result. And so, and then table two is the primers that they use. So the gene that they're, they're going to amplify is THCA synthase and cbda synthase and perinol transferase. I don't know what that does, but a primer is a section of DNA that flanks either side of the gene that you're looking for. So if you've got a section of DNA or RNA um, and you've got a gene of interest, you need to have a section of of the DNA on either side of that so we, you can dump some polymerase in your reaction juice and it'll read along um, between those two primers. So that's just what that means for people who don't know anything about PCR and then they give you the conditions that they ran these under and all of that's pretty straightforward if you've ever done PCR. But, yep, that's it.
0: i love these little details i was gonna say that's that's why i look for people that are smarter than me to put on this panel is for moments right (laughs) there folks
2: (laughs) i'm smart at one thing and this is my one thing
0: dr anna that's okay i could probably say the same thing about growing and i'm sure there's a few people that would probably unfortunately also agree so (laughs)
1: Well, Corey, and you're probably the most qualified to go over all of this sort of cultural methods, so thank you for doing that. <laughs>
0: oh, as you all know, you can hear the excitement in my voice. I bet you didn't think in the intro that I was going to talk about that, did you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad you, you brought up the acetone and all that, because that was one of their, you know, their the main um, goals of this paper was to, like, establish one of the best testing methods. And that comes down to even solvents and gases that you're using to do the test. So I think that's really important. Um, So I'm going to go on with the results. Uh, The results and it's a results and discussion section. I'm going to try to just stick to the crazy like results. And then Dr. Anna will come back and get a little more discussy about it. (laughs) <laughs> so starting with the detection of terpenoids and cannabinoids in a single, um, GCFID run, that's gas chromatography. Um, th- they did mention also that oftentimes these chromatography tests are done with multiple runs or like different kinds. Uh, but I guess one, one and done is what they did. Um, so if you've ever wondered what a cannabinoid or terpenoid or just general chemical chromatography, like readout looks like, check out figure two. That'll, that's kind of like how you detect um, chemicals. Uh, basically the computer spits out this graph with a bunch of peaks and each peak represents a different chemical. So here you can see each of the terpenoids and cannabinoids. Um, feel free to check that out. There's not really much you can kind of get from that but other than they're there. Um, thank you, Corey, for bringing up the, uh, the.
0: Just so they can see it literally, you actually are going to have to look at it. There's not a lot of quantifiable on there for us.
1: Yeah. Um, also for the gas. So you mentioned that they chose, um, acetone for the, uh, liquid chromatography for the gas chromatography apparently nitrogen was the choice gas um, I forget which gas is usually used I think uh, helium what, 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 helium thank you yeah so um, nitrogen's away uh, moving on to the comparison of cannabinoid content in the leaf and floral samples from medicinal marijuana plants
0: I'm sorry, let so I just throw it, a quick thing yeah. in here as well. So the other thing about this is, you know, if you're going to go make hash, don't use acetone. Use the yeah. ethanol-based ones because it's a little bit better yeah. for lipids and things. So this is just a nice little gem to see if people have gone through, like, the real meat and potatoes are listening. Now they're going to learn a tip about hash things. So there you go, everybody.
1: Yes. Um yeah, so moving on to table three, that's your list of cannabinoid levels in the flowers. Um, and table four lists the levels in the leaves. Um, one little bit is that the samples were collected 50 to 65 days uh, post-light induction. THC levels they, in the flowers, they ranged from 3% in Juanita to 21% in Holy Power. The leaf levels were way lower and the lowest was 0.3% uh, in Lovelace and 2.7% in Crystal Cookies. So pretty low in the leaves. Uh, looking at CBD, uh, there, it was barely detected in most of the samples except for four of the strains, which is uh, typical of uh, these kind of studies where they just kind of get a swath of um, what's available on the market. But... All that's available on the market is high THC. Um, you're not going to easily find high CBD strains. Um, so that CBD range was uh, four to four point seven percent to nine percent. Um, CBC was present also in similar amounts. CBG, which is the precursor to the THC, CBD, and CBC ranged between 0.05% to 2.1% in the flower samples. And then THCV was also pretty low, but platinum buffalo flower had 1.3% THCV. Uh, Typical levels for high THC range, like that high THC chemovar is usually 15 to 22%. And like more of a balanced THC to CBD, you'll get five to 10% each. So moving on to the time course for accumulation of THC in flowers of medicinal can, uh, marijuana. So flower samples from sour Willie and Bodhi tree were collected at multiple intervals uh, following the induction of flowering. Looking at figure three, uh, there they graphed the flower and leaf comparisons. Uh, so side by side, um, we've got the high versus Yeah, so side to side, uh, we've got the high versus low sample areas also. So on the left half, um, we've got the flower versus leaf. The right half is the different locations on the plant. And, I mean, these results are expected and pretty anecdotal. Um, You know, more THC is usually in the flowers and uh, higher up on the plant. It's kind of just the way it goes. So, yay, they proved thing. Uh, so they also tested CBD in the leaves versus flowers in 16 strains. Uh, so on figure 4 um, we've got like more of a correlation graph and it shows that there's a positive correlation between CBD content in the leaves and flowers. All the THC dominant samples are on that like zero <laughs> the very beginning, bottom left um, and yeah, CBD dominant Makes a nice correlation. Uh, to, and Dr. Anna will probably go into like more of what that means, uh, and then moving on to the terpenoid content and composition in medical cannabis. Um, total terpenoid content ranged from point six percent to three point three percent, with and THC was. to 31.5%. So they tried to correlate the two. Um, So there was a slight positive correlation um, found between the total cannabinoids versus total terpene content. Um, But there are not, I don't know. We're not sure if this means anything. Like it might just reflect increased production of all metabolites, including oils in the flower buds. Um, Then we have some chemotype groupings. Like we've seen in a few other papers, um, Figure Six demonstrates three of the major chemotypes. Uh, that's so there's the thirty strains comprise uh, beta myrcene and pinines. Uh Ten strains are high in terpenoline, Thirty-two strains are high in delta limonene and beta caryophyllene and they also found two subtypes. Uh, nine strains were pinene-rich and 12 strains were beta-mercene-rich. I think these are cool. I mean, this isn't like the coolest way to look at it, but I feel like clustering chemotypes into these little hierarchies is like where we're headed. Um, And it's exciting. Uh, And the last part, uh, transcriptional control of cannabinoid biosynthetic genes. So we're looking for the transcript abundance of THC synthase, CBDA synthase, and prenyl transferase, and it was determined using PCR. They did four strains. I guess they did two high CH two high THC, and two high CBDs. Uh, figure seven shows the leaf levels. Um, they're all pretty low except for uh, Platinum Scout, which is kind of interesting. It had much higher THCA synthase and transferase. Weird. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with it being high CB. don't know. And then figure eight shows the gene levels in three, the three developmental stages. Really cool. I mean, also kind of expected um, the levels of the, the THC and CBDA synthases and prenatal transferase drop over time with a few exceptions, uh, in some of the CBDA synthase transcripts. Um, yeah, that middle and part B, the, the two on the, um, the two first ones, Platinum Scout and Holy Power just kind of zeroed out. But I mean, you would expect these, um, synthase proteins, enzymes, sorry, well, enzymes are producing. Yes, enzymes to kind of dwindle away once the plant is like getting fully developed and they don't need to produce THC anymore or whatever cannabinoid. Uh, and that's that's kind of solid for the results. Pretty pretty straightforward. This one, I like it. Um, coming back to Dr. Anna with the discussion.
2: Okay, unmuted. All right, so, yeah, um, I, I'm not, for our purposes, I'm not super fond of having the discussion and the results wrapped together, but for the purposes of, a, like, a reader, I do like it. But now I have to go back through everything that Casey just said and kind of create the discussion around it. So I thought one of the most interesting things about this paper is that they were able to do the detection of the terpenoids and cannabinoids in the single Uh, gas chromatography flame ionized uh, uh, detection test and or uh, assay because normally uh, like you can do gc on either cannabinoids or terpenes gc gas chromatography is preferred for the terpenes because they're volatile and you know they they boil off at different times so you can get really good separation of terpenes with gc hplc is better for cannabinoids because it doesn't use any heat gc does use heat and so what happens is your acidic forms of your cannabinoids get decarboxylated in the process of the testing and so you cannot determine your levels of acid um acidic forms they just are all end up being decarboxylated so you just can only test for like thc cbd CBC you don't get those acidic forms and so you can see that in figure two um, they've got the terpenes listed and then they have just uh was six and they've got they've got CBN in there which is also a degradation product of of THC so they've burned they've not only decarboxylated the THCA they've also pushed it over the edge and produced some CBN presumably as well in this process so but it's still pretty cool that they can just do one run and get all of the cannabinoids and terpenes together instead of doing two separate runs whether it be two separate gc runs or a a gc and then an hplc to try and separate out some of these compounds so i thought that was really neat um and i think that might well that's probably my second favorite thing of this paper the first favorite thing is what Corey put up on the screen which is part of the uh, supplemental materials. So very often when you read papers, you don't actually go to the supplemental materials because it's, it's like extra stuff. But in this case, I really wish they would have put this figure in instead of, which figure is it? Uh, figure three, which is just the top and the bottom. So this supplemental figure is showing over time the change or, or the concentration of THC in the top, middle, and lower thirds of the plant. So at if you read along the bottom it says days post floral induction. So uh, days into flower. So for example, Bodhi tree, they started sampling around day 36. We've got the blue line is the top buds, the apical buds, the red line is buds in the middle section of the plant, and then the green line is buds from the bottom third of the plant. And you can see in each of these four strains that it's it's pretty clear. That the apical buds contain the most THC and the bottom buds contain the least THC, and the middle is in the middle. So for those uh, those people who have been saying that you know the the buds at the top of the plant are more potent, yep, hundred um, percent. So that's my favorite figure in this paper, and so uh, I, I use it a lot. Actually, I don't know if I can share my screen, Corey. Can I share my screen? Yes. Yeah. Sure okay. Cool. Banana. So this is. This is one of my slides that I use quite often that, um, you know, I've talked about bananas before, that they change over time. They change on the plant. Once you pick them, they also change. And so we know that you can have immature buds. We've got mature buds like optimal harvest time. And then as they get past maturity, they kind of, you know, turn amber or uh, some of that THC starts, THCA starts to degrade into THC and then CBN. Um, and so this is exactly what I've been talking about. It, the, the potency or the level of THC changes over time and it's measurable. And, you know, this goes even beyond post harvest. Um, and so you curing and the way you store it and everything is also going to change, uh, over time as well. So anyway, all right. So, um, So, as um, in under the next section, that's comparison of cannabinoid content in leaf and floral samples from medicinal marijuana plants. Um, Unspectacularly, um, they've got uh, the levels of cannabinoids are going to be variable between strains and are much higher in the floral tissue than in the leaf tissue. Like, I mean, that's really pretty straightforward. We all know those things to be true. And here it is on paper published one more time. Um, CBD was barely detectable in leaf or floral tissue in most strains, except for these, uh, alien blue, thunderstruck, lollies, and Juanita in three strains. CBD levels were higher than, uh, THC. Um, CBC was similar levels between leaves and floral tissue. And it's not very much. Um, CBG was detectable in some of the floral samples THCV was detected in some but really at low levels and the, the, again those are in the table so you can look through that um, we talked about the different chemotypes and here you know they're saying typical levels for high THC chemotype 1 which in the in the beginning they were saying th- THCV so they're even contradicting themselves within this paper it's THC it's not THCV that is the chemotype 1 2 three, four, and 5 um And then as we're going along, uh, THC content of the samples increases in the floral samples with increasing time post-induction. So, yes, as the plant matures, THC levels increase in the the flower tissue. Um, Top, middle, and bottom uh, have different levels within the same plant. We just talked about that. Um, Let's see. Oh, they, they this this part's interesting. So they do say um, there was a po- positive correlation between the CBD content of leaf and flower samples with an R value of 0.92. If the strain is going to be primarily a Delta 9 c type plant, there will be virtually no CBD in the vegetative leaves. If it is a CBD type, the vegetative leaves will have a higher CBD content. So this is really interesting, and they don't really go into it. But this is another way that potentially, you know, law enforcement or a grower could tell: Do you have a hemp type plant, or do you have a non-hemp type plant? Because if you have CBD in the leaves, you're going to end up with a CBD type plant. If you don't have any CBD, you're going to end up with a higher THC content. So if you're if you don't if you're not growing for THC type plants, you're going to want to know like what what type of plant because sometimes you get provided things that you're not quite sure what it is or, uh, it's questionable origin or, or the, you know, the person supplying it just doesn't even know what it is. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting and I think they could have talked a little bit more about that, but that's okay. Um, they do say testing vegetatively will determine if a medical marijuana strain predicted to have high CBD floral content will provide valuable information early on in the management of the plant. So they do say that it's informative, but again, um, I feel like it could be informative for, uh, not just medical, but at the moment, while it's still illegal in many places, law enforcement could use it. Um, you know, cause when, when a cop comes in and like looks at a growth, there's no way to tell what, what's growing. Like it could be marijuana, it could be hemp, uh, cause it all looks the same and cause it is all the same. Um, and then they talk about terpenoid content and composition in medical cannabis, um, Of course, we've talked about this before, the growth conditions of the plant, the harvest of the samples, and their curing processes are all under the purview of the producer. Um, So I think they're kind of getting at, like, that can also lend to the different chemotypes because those things are going to influence that. Um, I don't think there's anything, like, super interesting... Oh, so, yeah, so, you know, this hierarchical approach with these pie charts on the terpenes that Corey has up on the screen is really interesting because they do say, like, most people who have been looking at terpene groups, like, um, you know, you take the major terpenes and then try to cluster them. They use the PCA, so that clustering analysis that we always talk about where it's like a cloud of data and you kind of can see groups that are clustering together i mean they're more closely related not necessarily genetically but in this case it would be they have like the same terpene type profiles this is a different way to look at it. this is looking at actual abundance of the terpenes instead of like how how close are their terpene profiles to each other it's actually saying like this is how much of a terpene these samples have in them and they've They've been able to show there. it's it's still a clustering analysis. It's just a different way to look at it. So, yeah, this is a really interesting way that they've laid that out. Um, It's not very easy to read because, as you can see along the bottom, they have the the strain number. It doesn't actually tell you what it is. So you you have – Molly always says, like, people get bored if they have to look or click, like, too many clicks and people won't go there because it's just too difficult. This, you'd have to like go to that supplemental information, figure out what number goes with this you know, what strain is it and so this is not the way they laid this out is not terribly useful for somebody who wants to take this information and actually use it uh, in in terms of their growing, what they want to grow, what they're hoping to get, that kind of thing. so um, but it is an interesting way to look at it. And
0: thank you for discussing that because I was actually going to ask, like, how the hell do I read that thing? Because I want to know, like, the things and the stuff and how the stuff go to the things. And you just, told yeah, so, the, so. The,
2: the wedges of the pie are numbered, um, and that correlates to the terpenes that are part of that pie wedge. So, like, in the mercene pinene wedge one and three, that blue wedge, there are terpenes one and three. But what are terpenes one and three? You got to go to the table. Uh, which is kind of annoying. So there are 19 terpenes that they looked at. So, again, you have to cross-reference this to figure out what you're looking at. So number four, for example, I'm guessing is Myrcene, since underneath it tells you there's a Myrcene-dominant uh, wedge where it says number four, and that's that purple wedge. That's the biggest wedge. So number four, obviously, is is Myrcene. Um, one and three is alpha and beta-pinene, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. so, but that's so. that's sort of annoying to not know what those terpenes are, they're just numbered. But I mean, how would you fit it all on there if you had the names of them?
0: It's okay, um, this is the opportunity where you get to look really super smart and you can open this entire research paper on like three screens at work and people at work will think you're actually doing things. Cause there's pie charts and graphs.
2: The yeah. And there's and excels.
0: Got... Like you're good. Y'all you, you can do this. You'll really enjoy going through this
2: <laughs> with some red string that joins and you've got sticky notes. <laughs>
0: I have finally found the perfect cultivar. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. So yeah. But then again, like in the numbers along the bottom are the, the strains, by number, not by name. So, again, you're going to have to go back and look and see what each one is. Three-screener.
0: This is a three-screening affair right here. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. But potentially, you know, you could pick any number that's in, you know, any one of these groups, um, you know, and, and grow them up and see see what you get, I guess. I don't know. Um, and then we've got our, our uh, quantitative real-time PCR uh analysis with the leaves and the in the synthases and the buds and the synthases and i don't really think that's terribly interesting although somebody else might uh, i did think it was interesting that that the synthases um sort of disappear um over time but i mean i guess that makes sense um and don't really have anything else to say um I guess I'll just read the summary. In summary, we report a simple and robust, simple, robust, and reliable method for the chemical characterization of two classes of bioactive compounds in medical cannabis samples terpenoids and cannabinoids. Given the myriad of health conditions treated by medical marijuana, detailed and complete compositional analysis are essential to determine the efficacy of this material for those conditions and the optimal strain for specific conditions. The opportunity to predict high CBD floral. Samples from analysis on vegetative leaves should be explored further as a way to help producers increase the availability of this medically important cannabinoid. So they, they're kind of spinning this paper as um, something that can assist with medical marijuana, but I feel like there's more to this than just medic. like there's so much information in here that I think is pretty useful for a multiple, for multiple reasons and arms of the cannabis industry.
1: I guess New Mexico isn't too worried about hemp. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like, I mean, as it's a simple paper, but I love it. Like I, I mean, it's kind of similar to the one we did a few weeks ago, just like with the chemotypes. But I like how even just how it like breaks down the biosynthetic like pathways of Cannabinoids.
0: Mhm.
2: It's nice to see that, th- that. It's nice to see that pathway. Like, I I feel like a lot of people don't know that's how that works. Um, that they think that if you harvest something early, like, are you gonna get? you know, more CBG, or are you going to get just a little bit of THC and nothing, like, it's nice to know how that pathway works, Um, and you can look at it and go, oh, okay, and then you can also see, go ahead. I was just
1: going to say, even, like, how you're mentioning that, like, CBN can result from, like, over over decarboxylated THC like what (laughs) it's crazy yeah
2: there's there's no biosynthetic pathway to make for the plant to make CBN it's coming from outside uh, outside influences is what you're gonna is that's how you're gonna get CBN like the plant can't make it and to think about, like, genes, and when genes are non-functioning or, or functioning at less capacity, so let's say you've got a broken THC synthase gene, um, and it's a THC-type plant, if your THC synthase gene is broken, the only two other um, enzymes that can work in that plant are the CBDA synthase that will make that CBGA into CBD, Right. Or you've got your CBCA synthase gene, so you can make CBC. So thinking about how you can manipulate these synthase genes to kind of potentially push your plant into being a certain uh, chemotype.
1: So what if we just feed all of our plants far thyrophosphate, and alveotolic acid? Can no, we just I- get more cannabinoids? Whoa.
2: I don't know. Can, it, can, would the plant be able to uptake that and use it as as a molecule? And then, feel like it kind of needs to be in a cell or something.
1: <laughs> no, it could totally <laughs> just pick it up just and do with Spray
2: it yeah, on there. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, if, if isn't prob- that what plants do? They just take whatever you throw at them and. I think so. Pop up chemicals. Yeah! yeah. Hey. Nice. Oh, I like
2: it. So they they point out like raw. So in the plant, uh, we've got CBGA and CBGVA. So there's all your varins. Um, so from those, oh. so so from CBGA you get THCA. From CBGVA you get THCVA. Etc. What about et cetera, all the cetera,
1: bajillion so. other CBs, C cannabinoids?
2: These are just the majors. Oh, okay. Right? Um, so from THCA, we get THC and THCV when it's heated. Same thing with CBD, CBC, and then, from, and then we can get CBG as well from just straight from CBGA. And then when you age it, past, beyond heating, so this is past decarboxylation, now we're talking oxidation um, and degradation products. We've got CBN, we've got um, Delta-8, CBLA, CBL, so, of course, this is just a very small number of cannabinoids, but uh, I, I just really like this because it shows what the plant does, what happens with heat, and then
0: beyond that I like it yeah I like that a lot that's great so that
1: that is our story on metabolites in cannabis Um, join us next week please and follow us everywhere so that you can stay up to date with our releases can't wait to see you again folks
0: Casey, you're so cute, buddy. You're just adorable. Sometimes I just want to go over there and just hug you. I love you, man. All right, you guys. Come on over. Hey, you know what? I tell you, if I didn't start this jam, I would have went to Regen and Humboldt this past weekend, and we definitely oh, would have. I would have met you there. Yeah, we def- for sure. So don't worry though. It, in due time. In due time.
1: We're going to rendezvous someday.
0: Oh, yes. It's going to happen. All of us. Super stoked about hey, that. Doctor. Oh, Dr. Adamus is fourth, too. That's right. Anyways. Goodbye, Canna Book Club members. I love you all. As always, thank you for listening through to another episode of the Canna Book Club, wherever you consume this information from. If it's YouTube, Twitch, Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Deezer, I don't even know, Amazon, Audible, it's everywhere, folks. So, leave a review, leave stars, download, and look forward to another episode every single Wednesday, if y'all haven't figured it out yet. And uh, with that, I will see you all later. Bye.